this is it. I'm going to just completely devote the next 10 years in mentoring and building the next generation of female creatives and giving them a place and a position where they can gain recognition early in their careers. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers, and leaders. We're proud to present Courageous Conversations, a podcast series focusing on the tough decisions people have made to put themselves on a pathway to success. This episode is brought to you by Connect Now, who makes the business of moving easier for both you and your clients. For more information, visit connectnow.com.au. Please welcome your host, Leanne Pilkington. Hey everyone, Leanne Pilkington here for the latest episode of Courageous Conversations and I am so excited to get to know our guest for today just a little bit better. Lorena Gaxiola is an award-winning interior designer. She is from Mexico after working in both the US and China and now here in Australia. She has got such an interesting story. She runs her own business and it's an entirely female team. I love that, Lorena. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Leanne. My pleasure. So you started your business as a 24-year-old. You grew up in Mexico, but you studied in um, in California and you started business as a 24-year-old. But tell me, your dad was an architect and a builder. What was his advice to you when you were leaving school? I always knew that I wanted to be an architect. And when I reached out to my father and I said, dad, I really want to study architecture. um, He honestly said to me, architecture is no career for a woman. And I don't think it came as a condescending comment more. It didn't make you want to hit him. It didn't. I was so young. I was 17 years old. And, um, you know, he said, listen, as an architect, you're going to end up in a desk job. They're not going to put you on the field. You're not going to be a project manager. And to be a great architect, you need to be on the field. He told me back then, this is in the early 90s, about a new degree that had a full bachelor's um, degree in the United States called interior design. And this is early. Back in the days, interior design was only created by the wealthy and the people with good taste. This is when it really got certified and we got the full bachelor's degree that he said to me, I'm going to put you in university in the U.S. I'm going to give you the best education, but why don't you try interior design? Because it complements architecture. And that's what I did. Um, When I graduated uh, on on my senior, my senior design teacher said to my father, I just want to let you know that your daughter should have been an architect. And my dad responded to her, but that's why she's going to be a great interior designer. So that was my foot in the door into the world of architecture and interiors. Yeah, right. Sounds like it was actually pretty good advice from dad. It took me a couple of decades to get over it. And I think now I do realize because I do see that that is my point of differentiation, that every design that I, every project that I take on, I always come with an architectural hat on and I'm always looking to improve on the architecture rather than just make it pretty and fluffy, basically. Yeah, and I yeah. think it's, it's, it's giving me kind of like the best of both worlds. So you started your business in the US, but you had to shift to China when there was a recession in 2007, right? Tell me, how did that work? That's a big leap. I mean, and, and it was really even from the start, I, I started my company in 2000. I had been working for a design company for about five years. And when I, I just, I, I had some people that were interested in me doing work on my own. And uh, they were really the ones that said, listen, if you break out and you start your business, we're going to give you work. And that's really what I started, how I started, because um, it was actually KB Home, which is one of the largest home builders in the United States for the Southern California division. They said, we will support you if you start your own business. 
So that was fantastic. Great place to start, right? Because it's, Great place it's, to start and, and very nerve-wracking. trusted me, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so they really, they, they were incredible at supporting my craft. And But in 2000, we had a, a recession already. So I entered the industry with recession, right? right. Um, and, and so I wasn't really able to scale my business really in a, in a large scale. And I, I kept it very boutique and I, I knew that I needed to keep it small because it was really important to save money. And thank God for that, because in 2007, the recession hit. And even though I had a good sized team, I had to lay off nearly everyone. There was no work. I mean, even the KB Home who was supporting me at the very beginning, they had divisions within California, within regions, and they had to shut down and they only kept one office in the whole state. So tell me, how do you cope with um, news like that? I mean, it's devastating, not just for you, but then having to deliver that news to your team. And how do you how do you kind of get through something like that? That was incredibly difficult because, I mean, uh, you know, I was in my early 30s to then turn at my team who were about my age and said, I can no longer pay your fees. Right. Um, it was very hard because I had, you know, two years plan. We knew what projects were coming on a monthly basis and the clients were calling and saying that's canceled, that's canceled. And I just saw the projections just go, you know, collapse. I actually, um, you know, thank God for my father being in the industry that he said, listen, you're just going to have to, you know, try to keep it so light and mean in order for you to survive through this. And that's what I did. I went to my team. I was honest. I told them this is what's happening. It's not me. It's everywhere. But what I did offer to them is the likelihood of you winning a job is going to be very hard. Why don't you turn into a consultant and I hire your consultant services? And that way, many companies will give you work. And I did that with my accountants. I did that with my designers. I could not afford them full time, 40 hours a week, but I could afford 20, 10 on a job basis. And I was able to um, understand what it takes to run a business like that and be flexible in working with people based on the hours that they could give. That's so smart. Um, That really is smart. Yeah, flexible. Just because you can't do it the way you've always done it doesn't mean you still can't make it work effectively in a different way moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. That helped me with COVID because it didn't shock me with COVID, right? Right. Bloody COVID. Anyway, we'll get to that. Um, And so China, how did that uh, that come about? So, and I mean, that's an actually interesting story because I've always been one to take on and seize opportunities. And I've I've networked and my my close group of people, they're all in design. And I... I, I was in an event in Laguna Beach and I met a person who was doing the show for Architectural Digest in that year. This is actually around 2005, 2016, six, right before the recession. And I met him and he and he's like, oh, you're an interior designer. Do you have product? And I said, no, but I always wanted to design product. And he said, listen, this year, Architectural Digest is doing a special program for emerging designers. If you design something and you sketch it, I can present it to the board. And if they like it, they're going to give you a place. But if they like it, you need to produce those pieces. And I thought, all right, I'll wing it. I mean, here's Architectural Digest wanting to give me a spot for free. I'm going to do it. And I think a lot of younger people, which, uh, you know, I'm glad that they get to listen to this. They will feel really pressured to say, oh, my gosh, I, I don't have it. I can't do it. It's not to my standards. I will do it next year. Opportunities don't come to you all the time. So I had and to. And they never come when it suits you. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so I had to just, you know, I borrow money. I sketch what I needed. I asked for favors and I presented my collection. It was uh, it was received um, 
favorably and they gave me a position at Architectural Digest, which then I showed in New York and that's how the Chinese people found out about me and ended up giving me a project in China for five years. I'm assuming that you didn't speak um, Mandarin at the time? No, I mean, they, they have a group of people that they actually shop for interior designers in the United States. Yeah, okay. They want the American look in China. Yeah, and right. when they were talking to different companies, it was just me and, and another two that we were bidding on this. It was a, a, a ginormous project. And when I won that project, it, they came to me because they said, we're going to give it to you. You're young, but we're going to give it to you because you're Mexican. And this is the one time that I thought, oh, my gosh, being Mexican actually works in my favor. In the United <laughs> and they said, being Mexican, you will understand the Chinese way and you will not be scared to travel to China. And that was true. China is like Mexico with Chinese people, you know, you, you, you don't get scared, you know, you, you, it's chaotic, it's fast, it's, you know, you have to bend the rules, you know, it just, yeah. it's a different way of doing business. Yeah, right. Fantastic. So how did you then um, start working in Australia? I met who is now my husband. Um, he is always, it's always a bloke, always, right? isn't it? Always a bloke. He was in um, in San Diego, in California, doing business and with some other people. He is also in the building industry and uh, we connected. We had so many things in common and, you know, 15 years later, we're still together. And I started commuting to um, Sydney since 2007 or eight. And, uh, and that's a hell of a commute. How do you manage to be commuting from the U.S. to China to Australia? Like, how does that work? That was fantastic, actually, because China... Uh, needed me to go and visit every third month. So I would um, fly from San Diego to China and be there for about a week or two, then come to Sydney for a week or two, and then go back to the U.S. But it allowed me, again, the opportunity to be open-minded about working on satellite offices and set up my remote um, systems with my team in the U.S. because my headquarters were in California. And uh, so to be able to be proficient and the metric system for China, for example, and versus the imperial system in the U.S. to be able to create documentation in Chinese as well and and then speak with my um, English-speaking designers in the U.S. So it just really allowed me the opportunity to start looking at the business globally. And coming to Australia, being married to someone in the industry, I started meeting people and networking here as well. And eventually it opened the door to do business here. Now, you mentioned to me that you found it harder to start your business here as an experienced designer with a fantastic portfolio than you did as a as a 24 year old in the US. Talk to me about why it was so difficult. I don't know if I know exactly why. I, I, and, and it's just going to come from a personal angle in, in the US sales and marketing. Uh, the people that make the a decision of hiring the interior designer, the majority are women. Right. And, um, you know, it, do we have a special connection? Can we speak to each other a certain way? And that's why we have a better connection. I, I'm just I'm even asking my, that question myself. In Australia, I don't meet a lot of women like me. I meet women that work for companies, but I feel like the property industry is definitely more male dominated than than having you know true diversity between uh genders and i think there's some great women working in incredible companies but they're not leading as business owners and entrepreneurs so i have been told that i'm very strong and australian men don't know how to handle a woman like me you know that is so direct and um, i'm very confident 
when I uh, make a decision, it's, you know, let's go this way. And I don't know if that's probably. Where does that confidence come from? From starting my business when I was 24, I needed to pay bills. I needed to find work. It's a survival skill. You know, when your father tells you don't study this because you can't make it, it's almost like I'll show you that I can make it in whichever way you do. So I think I was, I'm just naturally a person that doesn't give up. And um, I, I, Australia was a beautiful, it's a beautiful market because the design is incredible. I mean, I can say the work here is so much better than the work that I did in the U.S. And, and, and for me to, str- it's not the struggle because thinking, oh, people are not taking me with, uh, you know, with open arms. It's because it's a small circle of people. They're very comfortable working with what works and why fix something that's not broken, right? It's a great system that already exists and not everybody wants change. And I come in as a newbie and I'm competing with really big companies. You know, there's, there's there's not a lot of medium sized design companies in Australia. You have small or you have really big establishments and and i think that's really when people it's not a personal decision they're just looking at you know do you have a hundred staff or you have 10 you know and it's just nothing and then and it's who feels comfortable working with the size of the company that you have and um it has been challenging i i like i said in the u.s a fortune 500 company backed me up when i was 24 and in australia with 20 years experience and a beautiful portfolio, you know, they're not as confident for some reason, sometimes. Sometimes there are the ones that are definitely giving me a, a great platform. Yeah, so how do, you, um, how do you go up to the next job, I guess, when you know you're going to be competing pretty much against the same um, design companies each time? How do you actually get yourself to do that pitch and go your hardest to get the job when you think, oh God, they've beaten me three times. It's heartbreaking to be honest, because one, I do respect my competitors and, and uh, enormously. I mean, like I said, I can't really flaw Australian design from any, I I can't really say that person's better than the other. It's just different. Um, But I admire many of the ones that I compete up against. It is disheartening sometimes because I think in, um, I think a lot has to do with, I, I, I don't know, you have to ask the people actually that, I, I think I just get the news when they say it's not for you. It, it's disheartening when I get feedback that says, uh, the architect wants to do interiors, Lorena. And I think, well, okay, I understand that the architects want to do interiors, but you don't go to your GP to give you plastic surgery. You know, you go to the specialist. Yeah. Architects are great architects and they yeah. can definitely do interiors, absolutely. And they have flawless detailing. But interior designers, we are trained to deliver to the end user. We, If someone calls me and says, Lorena, design French country, I will do French country. Interior designers don't have that box aesthetic. We design based on what the client is requesting. Sure. We bring form and function to that. And architects, yeah, it's not necessarily your vision. It's exactly. Your exactly. vision, in, yeah, it, the, the client informs it and, and inspires it, yeah. Architects definitely have a very strong brand and very strong standards that they follow. And it, yeah. and, it, and, it, and and a lot of the projects, then they're beautiful because it's flawless, the outside in and the colors match inside out. But at the same time, it can be repetitive because they have so much work. So, you know, how does a client stand out if that same architect has 10 projects in the vicinity that have about the same vibe, right? So yeah. I come in with a, 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 no two projects are alike, for example, because that's not my make. 
And uh, so when is disheartening is when they say the architect wants to do interiors and they've called us and said all or nothing. So they do at times box developers to say, you know, we either do architecture and interiors or you have to find someone else. And that's unfair because if they've done the DA, if, they are, if, they, if they've done a lot for the developer, they're putting me at a disadvantage. Sometimes developers, you know, would say, I don't want to spend extra money or they probably think that there's lack of efficiencies by bringing two different creatives. Yeah. And I understand, but that's not true. That's a myth. We interior designers are more than capable to handle serious documentation. We are at times even more proficient than architects because we work with so many different architectural firms that we have to be proficient across different softwares. Architectural firms specialize in one or two sure. across the entire team. And we have to move across the, the, the industry. And, um, you know, we, we, I open, I'm very open to collaboration, but that's really where I can say it hurts that someone doesn't want to collaborate, but business is business, right? And that's the way that you've got to look at it, right? It's not personal. I only had this conversation with some of my sales team yesterday. These are not personal decisions. They're business decisions. Right. And, um, and you, can't, you can't let it affect you um, too much. Um, you, had some, um, you had some serious health problems um, going back. Was it 2009? 2019, just two years ago. 2019. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. I didn't realize it was so recent. Um, so tell us what happened. I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2019, and that was just, you know, I when I brought my business here in 2016, I had my very first job. It's the people over in uh, Parameda that gave me the Lennox, and that was a big project, and I was Beautiful. so excited to be part of that. I, I Yeah, you did a wonderful job. I had a look at that. You really did a wonderful you. job. I'm a, I'm a really, really good friend of Eugene Marchese and the fact that he's always mentored me actually through the Australian market. He's a, he's a great friend and a great mentor of mine. And uh, he is the one that, that really helped me work together with his team and create that beautiful project. And, you know, we're working on this project and it's a ginormous project and I'm looking to grow my business. And all of a sudden in early 2019, I get diagnosed, which I wasn't able to work at the same speed and at the same, you know, level. And it really slowed down the process of me entering the Australian market with a bank because I had to look after my health and, and, and work um, different days. Yeah, absolutely. But you still worked through? I worked through the entire time. I, I am very active still in the U.S. market as an interior designer. My clients in the U.S., when I came to Australia, they were very upset. And they told me, since you're in Australia, we're not going to be able to give you the big jobs, Lorena. And I was really, really upset about that too, right? Because here the clients are saying, you know, you're not big yeah. enough to compete with the big architectural firms. Yeah. And then in America, they're saying, we can't give you the big jobs because you're not there. And that was very frustrating. So I just could not show my clients in the U.S. any weakness. This is, this is not the time to show weakness. And I went to my oncologist and I said, listen, I'm presenting on a hotel in California and I don't want him to know that I'm sick because he would say that I'm a liability. Yep. He said, all right, we're going to give you chemotherapy. You're going to feel like crap for three days and then you can jump on an airplane, present your project and come back because by the time you come back, your hair is going to be Stop coming off. Falling off. Out. I, my hair was literally coming off on the airplane. Oh. I went to America. I took, I, I travel like we travel now with the mask. And I thought I can't get sick. I didn't tell anyone that I was sick. I presented my project. I met with new people and I flew back and 
but that's when the doctor said, you're not after this one, you're not going to be able to go to America until you finish your treatments. And, but I, I could not, I, I just didn't have the heart to pick up the phone and tell my client, thanks for the opportunity, but I'm going to have to decline. Sure. I just had to do it. And, uh, and, and that was huge. Right. And I, and I did, I never told him, I actually told him, I think I had a conversation with him six months ago and uh, they had to put that project on hold because COVID hit right after. And then I said, you know, when I presented, I had cancer. He's like, no. <laughs> uh, oh, that's amazing. It's amazing what you can do when you're focused and determined, right? And so I, tell me, how's your health now? My health, I survived it. So that is fantastic. I have to say the Australian health system is incredible. I, I was, I feel really supported. I tell people all the time, if, if anyone has can gets cancer, like have it in Australia, because the, the team and the people that I met, and I, I don't think once I went to the doctor and I didn't have a question answer, like I feel so supported from the nurses, oncologists, specialists. I mean, I got sick in the, but they always allowed me to know what side effects I was going to experience and how to work through it. And they always said to me, stay focused, keep working. You know, this is, you're going to get through it. It's going to be a horrible year. And then you're going to think like, I can't believe that that happened. And that's exactly what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Now you mentioned COVID. Yep. Talk to me. How's that impacted your business and how have you coped with that? Well, look at this, right? So I come here, the Americans are saying you can't, I'm not going to give you the big jobs. In Australia, you know, it's really hard to get doors open. You know, it's it's different now, you know, five years later. But um, in 2019, I get cancer. And then in 2020, there's COVID, right? So it's like, what is going when, on? When, when am I catching my break here in Australia, right? It's like, what is the universe trying to tell me? Yeah. And um, if anything, in 2020 is, Everything that I have done in the past 20 years, I put it into action. My systems, my remote systems are in place. So COVID yep. was nothing to me when it came to my team. I know how to work and be flexible hours and being able to, con you know, to work with contractors if I, if I don't want to have them on full time. Yep. And, you know, I'm healthy now. I have a beautiful portfolio. And guess the phone started ringing from all my clients in America saying, no one here knows how to do it remote, Lorena. No problem. I know. Is that right? How Absolutely. I have more work coming from the U.S. since COVID. I even have work in Europe at the moment, a hotel that we're designing all remotely. And also here in Australia, more because more people are starting to see the end product. And yeah. I, I understand that, you know, there's only so much that you can sell with renders until yeah. people start visiting and seeing the quality for themselves. And uh, so I'm really hoping and I and it feels that, you know, there's a really bright future for my company and my staff on, on the years to come after COVID. I love that um, your American clients are reaching out saying nobody else can do it remotely because they, yeah, that, what a, yeah. Because they wanted to meet face to face. And now I'm like, okay, but I'm here. And literally my team, I, I have a beautiful team of all females and my art, the architects are incredibly talented and they're so proficient in different softwares that we design everything in virtual reality. We share our screens, our clients from wherever they're at are able to see on their screen and literally say, can you change that to pink or to red? Can you lower? I don't like that fireplace. Here's another one. And we change it on the spot yeah. live and they feel good, and then we take it, and then we move on to the next item. How good is that? Fantastic. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And why have you just got a female team? Was that by design or by accident? It was actually by accident, to be honest, but it was also um, kind of like 
you know, it's it's a blend of of of, of reasons. I think as a as a young entrepreneur, when I was 24 and growing my business, it's always a little bit intimidating having to lead a team that is about your age, and it becomes competitive, right? And I did experience that in my career where I would have great um, employees that were that would feel that Florena has it, why can I do it, right? And then I would lose that star employee all the time. They would go off and try to do it on their own and they'll mm-hmm. realize, oh, this is a lot harder than, Yeah, you, know, you made it look too easy, right? You make it look easy, but it's very, very tough to run your practice. It's sure. very tough and to survive all these ups and downs. And um, so I think I always wanted to blend my team. That's when I thought, okay, there's going to be less drama if I have a very diverse team. And I and and when I was younger, I always worked, thought I can't have all women working for me because it's competitive. It became competitive at the at, at the uh, the age that I was, and it could have been my own insecurity also seeing my employees maybe being a little bit more talented than me. So I just maybe felt like I need to have some male blended into my team. So when I come to Australia, I have a blended team, and then all of a sudden. The last male that worked for me was actually quite dramatic, like even more than a woman, to be honest. Oh, they can be. It was just like exhausting. The girls are working hard. They're not complaining. They're doing it. And and I had just the one man that was complaining all the time. And anyway, he stepped out and the productivity went skyrocketed. And then as I started, you know, adding more people to the team, naturally there were women for some reason. And I started thinking... Okay, I'll tell you what, and I won't name what project, but I did see in social media a a post by a developer, a local Sydney developer. He did a beautiful job on a project that I completely admire the work that they did. And I saw a post that, that, that said the dream team, and they were celebrating that project. And in that post, there were five people. There was a male architect, a male interior designer, a male real estate agent, a male financer. And, and I just thought, no, this is crazy. Like, and it's crazy to me because I didn't see that in the U.S. So to not see the face of females, really, I know great women that work for them and they did a beautiful job. I'm not taking anything away from them, but the fact that they're the dream team and there's no female representation, I just, it just hurt me deeply. And I look at my team and I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot let these girls wait 20 years to get their their claim of glory. I'm going to put them forward. And uh, I did a lot of research on what the Australian market looks like in the female and the demographics in the workforce. You know, there are more female graduating in architecture than there are male in Australia. Mm-hmm. But then if you look at the way that the architects are working, by the time they reach 30 and they make management level, they drop because they leave to have babies and yep. they can start their own practices. Yep. They're not entrepreneurs and they're not business owners and they're, they, they actually don't, they're not employers. So I started just looking at the trends and what happened, what's happening in architecture and design. I thought, okay, I need to empower these females. I also started looking at the new graduates and I thought, if more women are graduating architecture, why can I take these girls that are graduating and try to turn them into managers in five years? So Mm -hmm. that way they feel that by the time they want to have their babies in their 30s, they have some level of authority and it's going to be better for them to work from home. And I also think of that flexibility, right? Creatives, the true creatives, even in graphics, like to freelance because they get bored. So then I thought, why can I work with women and still give them that option of having their own business and their own clients and just take for what they want to give me? 
So for the past two years, that's what I've been working on that system on how it works for me. And then I just thought, this is it. I'm going to just completely devote the next 10 years in mentoring and building the next generation of female creatives and giving them a place and a position where they can gain recognition early in their careers. And, you know, I'm establishing a new business that hopefully I get to launch at the end of the year. And it's about, you know, supporting female creatives and their practice. Oh, I love that. That That's such a great story. Congratulations to you for being focused on it and, and seeing, like actually seeing what's going on in the market and working out how you can still harness all of those incredibly talented women and provide an environment where they can provide their best work grow their authority, grow their experience and knowledge. That's fantastic. Well done, you. Thank you. I mean, it's very scary for them, but not everybody's 24 and feels like they can have their own business, right? Not everybody at 24 feel like they can be managers. And even right now, when I talk to my team, you know, I'll say, turn on your camera. We're having a meeting remotely, right? And their camera's turned off. And then I'm texting them, turn on your camera. And they're so afraid, right? They're not confident. And how do you teach confidence, right? And then sometimes when I say, you know, you need to tell such and such to do something. Oh, I don't want to sound rude. And I'm like, no, there's two different things. You don't have to be a, you know, a rude person to get something, but you need to mentor those people. Yeah. It's going to hurt a little, but you're like anything, right? It's, it's like anything it, there, without friction, there's no change. So you, how do you get through that friction? And, and that's so what I'm focusing. That's what I focus on in, in really mentoring my team and pretty much any female that I, that calls me for advice you know, just push through it and don't give up and everything's going to be fine. Everything is going to be fine. I could talk to you all day, um, <laughs> but uh, we've been on, we, gosh, we've been chatting for more than half an hour now, oh so goodness. I'm going to have to let you go back to your busy day. If people want to connect with you or have a look at some of the work that you have done, where can they find you? It's my website, LoretaGaxiola.com and any of my social medias, that is just Lorena Gaxiola Co, uh, L-O-R- E-N-A-G-A-X-I-O-L-A.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story. And I I hope we can stay connected. Definitely. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Courageous Conversations with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agency's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com.